The Pilgrimage of the Heart podcast is brought to you by PYO.Yoga, an online studio for all your yoga needs, including videos in Spanish and Russian. This podcast is also brought to you by Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga, located in San Diego and serving over 1,000 yogis a week. Hi, this is Sujantra. Join me now and every week as we explore yogic philosophy and apply it to our daily lives. Okay, so the fellow we're going to read about tonight, his name is Guha, G-U-H-A. And so when Rama and Sita, the, the hero and the heroine, they're banished to the forest. So he was meant to be king, they're wronged, but they accept it because it's his, his father had to keep an old promise, so the son says, I'll go off to the forest. They're banished to the forest, and one of the first people they meet as they're two or three nights into their journey is um, Guha. So we're going to read about uh, this character. <clears throat> that tree marked the kingdom of the far forest and the realm of Guha, the hunter king. Rama and Sita, Lakshmana, that's Rama's brother, and Sumantra, Sumantra is the charioteer, so he takes them a certain distance, all bathed in the beautiful Ganges, where bathing, a man may wash off the sins from his heart as he takes the dirt from his skin, and both come out clean. So this is one of the uh, themes you hear repeatedly in the Indian um, spiritual philosophies the idea is that the Ganges is not just a uh, physical river, but it's also a spiritual river. And that by bathing in the Ganges, one uh, removes all obstacles, removes all sins from oneself, all impurities. And the idea there is that everything we see on earth has a, has a mirror reflection in heaven or in the higher worlds. And so they say that the, the Ganges River begins from Lord Shiva's dreadlocks. So you know the imagery of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, the three, in the three gods in the higher realms. So from Vishnu's uh, crown center through his dreadlocks flows the Ganges. It flows through the heavens. So in some of the stories you encounter the heavenly Ganges, and then it flows down from the Himalayas into the earth plain. So if I've, who's been to India? No one, right? No, no, no. Yeah, so um, when I went to India, I visited a few cities along the Ganges. And in Varanasi, the ancient city, you see every morning people bathing in the Ganges and um, doing their morning prayers. And they have the ghats, which are the, um, the steps that go down to the, to the river. And so the Brahmin priests have their, uh, like, like um, what do you call them? platforms kind of that are built into the stairs and so they'll be sitting under the umbrella reciting the morning prayers and seekers will gather around and listen to the prayers and the sun's coming up. So it's a really beautiful ceremony wrapped around the river which of course gives life and you can see bodies floating down it because now it's become, you know, it's it's changed a lot, but the funeral gods, 
are also on the Ganges. Yeah, and so the, the funeral ghats uh, are where they burn. They cremate the bodies. And, and they, they float down the river. And, uh, well, the ashes. The ashes floating. What's that? No, no, no. No, there. Uh, two things happen. One is, um, well, the, the cremation, basically the cremation um, grounds are these big platforms uh, on the river, and then they f cover the body in wood and fill it with all this wood, and then they burn it, and then they take all the ashes and put them in the river, and they float down. Yeah, it's pretty intense. A lot of what, a lot of the life experiences that in the West we like push away and, and get out of our sight, uh, in India it's much more in the open, especially death. Death is, because um, on the way to the uh, funeral, on the way to the funeral pyres, the bodies are carried through the streets. So there's a procession and there's the body on, you know, being pulled on a, uh, on a what? Yeah, like on a cart, you know, draped, and um, it's been through the purification processes, and they, so there's the funeral procession, versus, you know, being in a coffin, in a hertz, you know, so it's just, it's more, uh, it's more all around, life and death. Then, as they stood in wet clothes, so they had just bathed in the Ganges, under the trees of the secret forest, they heard whistles from the wood and looked in that direction. They saw nothing, and when they looked back, they, say, they saw Guha come to welcome them. Guha was a little thin brown man, short, with soft brown eyes, with the beard of a few hairs and a pure white grin. He was painted and tattooed with red and blue lines and wore a short black bearskin skirt for his only clothes. He had, a, he had a long necklace of tiger teeth and a belt of deer hooves laced on a thong. Musical anklets of claws and pieces of ivory and black wood tied together, bone earrings, armbands of braided grass and bright spotted beans, and stone beads cut with corners. In his curly hair were feathers, red and yellow and green and white and black. Hung from his belt were a magic rattle of bone rings and shells, a horn of honey, a bird noose of vine, and a worn bamboo case that held tiny poisoned wooden darts. He was Rama's friend. Guha ran to Rama and Rama embraced him in a hard hug, in a hug hard enough to crush a bear. And the savage king pounded Rama's back with friendly, stunning blows and laughed like a child. Oh, Rama, Rama, now you are an outcast like me. You, you look more outlandish than I remember you, laughed Rama. Guha whistled and the hunter men came out of the trees bearing wooden trays of hot steaming food. Eat, cried Guha. He threw himself on Lakshmana and thumped Sumantra. He smiled at Sita and spread down a blanket for her, and his men put down the food and drink. Princess, he said, I know your mother well, and I have known Rama since he was a friend. 
Okay, so that's, that's this good guy, Guha, who they meet in the forest. And one of the nice things about the Ramayana is everyone we encounter has like a pretty interesting backstory uh, to their life. And so that's what we're going to uh, take a look at or start to take a look at tonight is the backstory of um, Guha. So it turns out they end up uh, having all this delicious food, then um, everyone starts to fall asleep. It's just Guha and Lakshmana, Rama's brother, are left awake. And Lakshmana starts to tell, I mean, Guha tells Lakshmana the story of his life, of how he came to be, uh, to be where he is. Guha spoke, listen, Lakshmana, a busybody cannot sleep in peace if he knows one man free to do as he will. He cannot tolerate someone who likes to live alone in his own way. Did you never wonder how I got to Ayodhya the one time I've been inside a city? And so Guha met Rama and Lakshmana when, he, when they were little boys. And so Guha, who's always lived in the forest, is saying, you know, did you ever wonder why I came there that one time? And now he's going to tell him the story. But again, the lesson here is that a busy, well, one of the lessons is that a busybody can't sleep in peace if he knows one man is free to do as he will. He can't tolerate people who live alone in, his, in their own way. And so he begins the story. Your father's priest, Vashishta, decided to reform me and my people. He sent some brahmanas, those are the priests, he sent some brahmanas over the border into my forest, and by the river Ganga, they set up a stone image of Shiva under the branches of this very nut tree 20 years ago. Many men are all talk and no deeds, all words and no wisdom, and what they don't know of, and what they don't know of, they think does not exist. Those pious brahmanas lived in fancy tents not far from here. Not far from here. Morning and evening they brought flowers and offered food to that stone Shiva and praised him. I met them and gave them a good welcome and some little presents of gold birds and nine-headed snakes of lead. But I told them, I worship only God, and God is a tree. And every night when I returned from hunting, I would go and give that statue a good kick. And so the, the Vashishta, the priest, he comes out with his priestly class and says, okay, here's the image of God, the Shiva image, and this is what you have to worship. And so he, but Guha is this free spirit, and he says, hey, glad you're here, here's some gifts, but I worship only God, and my God's a tree. So you see this in our world constantly. What, what's going on? <clears throat> so again, Guha says, And every night when I returned from hunting, I would go and give that statue a good kick. Then the rains came. The forest floor was an ocean of mud, and the river Ganga rose in flood and forced those brahmanas away to high ground. They left Shiva all alone, half underwater for days at a time. Yet every night, 
even when I had to wade over logs, when I was exhausted, when I was hungry or sick, every night I went happily up to that senseless block of stone and kicked it. Shortly after the rains, one night when I was going home very late, I arrived here at the time of the animals drinking. A lean wolf pack greeted me. Their shiny eyes were hungry. The rains had starved them. My arrows were all gone. I had no fire to frighten them. They kept me from the statue. But though I could have outrun them and gone home, I climbed this old tree. I held onto a limb and thought, one way or another, before this night is over, I must kick that statue. So I waited in the tree above the statue of Shiva. I had not eaten all day. I had not eaten all day, so I tried to eat the green nuts on the tree, but they were so bitter I could not even swallow one bit but spit them out. That annoyed me a little, and the wolves round Shiva's statues snapped up at me with sharp teeth, trying in vain to reach me, but I waited and waited for my chance to kick Shiva. I had no food, there was no place to sleep, the night turned cold and the dew fell. The wolves would not go, and I shivered in the moonlight so hard that leaves and dewdrops and bitter green nuts fell all over the statue. Finally, at dawn, the wolves ran when my people came tracking me. But the night had passed, and I had failed to greet Shiva as he deserved. And, and I was so passionately angry that I chased the, the Brahmanas back to Ayodhya, where they hid behind Vashishtha's skirts. Dasharatha, the great king of Rama and Lakshmana, your father, Lakshmana, met me there. I told him, I will adore only the holy trees. He smiled and took my hand, and he made me a king. I already ruled this whole forest, but until then I was but a common man. When I got back here, Lakshmana, Shiva's image was gone somewhere else and I forgot about it. I went on hunting and eating and drinking until one afternoon I fell ill. A little green bird sat near me unafraid and I died in my hut after a short attack of fatal fever. Lord Yama, the Lord of Death, his messengers came to greet me four ruffians holding snarly dogs on chains. With contempt, they tore my soul from my dead body, bound me in a noose, and started south with me to the realm of death. All done in an instant. I could imagine my reception. As a soul, I was no bigger than a thumb, but still I struggled violently. But that death noose could not slip loose even in a dream. Then, as we came around a narrow turn in the forest path, a mean, small-looking, a small, mean-looking dwarf stood in the way. He fixed his round, brown eyes on Yama's bullies. He snorted and said, "Unknot that noose. Give over Guha's soul to me. He is not to die yet." The death spirits laughed. He is already dead. Stand aside. We will leave you now. Try it and I'll block you. I am Nandin, the peaceful guardian of the wild. By Shiva's order, release him. This is his death, you little runt. 
Liars, said Nandan. You are but thieves. It is not time for him to die. What did you call us? Have a kindness to the small and the weak, said Nandan. I beg you to let him go. Well, that did it. Yama's guards released their dogs and advanced on Nandan. I saw that surly little animal scatter the dogs and give the first death guard a stupendous blow that broke his head in. There was a great commotion, but I fell face down into, into a pile of old leaves and could see nothing more. Torment a poor defenseless animal, will you? I heard bones breaking and dogs yelping and running feet and chains coming apart. Then Nandan gently picked up the end of my noose and flew with me to the high heavens of the Himalaya. There he came to earth and changed into his true form into a sleek, white, humpy bull. He serenely carried me, hanging still bound from his wet, soft mouth. We entered a flimsy cottage. Nandan's breath smelled of sweet grass in the sun. Nandan stopped, and I saw Shiva sitting tall and fair, his two eyes like honey looking in my soul, his third eye closed on his brow, his hair unkept and wild, wearing an old, worn deerskin and rags, and looking at me and looking with Parvati, the mountain's daughter, on his lap. Then Nandan the bull and Shiva, then Nandan the bull and Shiva both faced the door. In a moment, a quiet green man in a red robe entered and stood, turning his head to see this way and that, and looked at us with his dark, unmoving eyes. It was Yama, the Lord of Death. Yama joined his hands with fingers touching and said to great Lord Shiva, In my scribe's dusty record book, this guha is a killer charged with crimes. He has sinned, his life has been shortened, his time is up, his days are over. Why did you take his soul away from me and leave us with an empty place in hell? The wind began to blow through Yama's long black hair. Shiva said, Death Lord, Guha was the one person faithful in saluting me when I came to his forest. Before he died, he once fasted and slept sleepless watch for my sake in a tree all night and offered me food he needed himself and showered me with water and gave me ornaments of leaves. And he took such rage against men pretending to love me that he threatened their lives and drove them out. Therefore, O Yama, I overreach you. His soul is mine and not yours to take. Yama smiled and left us without a word, continued, continued Guha. Nandan took my soul back to my body and I returned to life. So when even the court of death cannot tell what right from wrong, it is surely very hard for us to judge things. <laughs> so there you have the story of Guha. <clears throat> and so a couple things to take from it. One is, there were all these pious priests who had their fancy tents and they were 
you know, saying the prayers they were supposed to pray. But it, it was very surface. It was on the surface. Because in the beginning, Guha said, there's men, there's men who only have words. But they, they're, they're, they don't have actions behind them. And so they were all there just doing their, their job, kind of. And when the rains came, they all, they all ran back. Meanwhile, the, the, for, the Guha, he would every day go and kick the statue. You know, he was angry at the statue. <laughs> What's the statue doing? You know, why are you here? He would kick it. And then that one night, he didn't get to kick it, so he just waited and waited while the wolf pack was there. And just his whole intention was he had to kick the statue every day he went by. He was eating the beetle nuts. He couldn't chew them, so he spit them down. And then when he meets Shiva, you know, he, Guha then, he's, his destiny is to die. And he dies, he's, he's being taken to hell. But then the great Shiva comes and says, no, this is one of my great devotees. He says, hey, death, I'm, I'm, I'm looking after this guy. He's a, he's, a great, he's a great soul. And he worshipped me. You know, he every day would come to worship me in the forest. What's that? He'd kick him. And then, you know, he, he offered me food when I, in, the, in the rainstorm, whereas Guha was just like spitting out the beetle nuts that were, that were sour. Um, he looked after me. He cared about me. And so Shiva steps in and intervenes and, and puts um, Guha back to life. And so there's a story in, in the life of the Buddha where there's one of the Buddha's disciples gets angry at the Buddha. And he, he leaves the Buddha. And every day he, he's thinking and plotting, how can he harm the Buddha? How can he hurt the Buddha? And then one day the Buddha's talking to his disciples and he says that, you know, that, that guy that left us that's always thinking of ill things to do to me, he's going he's gonna to attain nirvana before any of you do because he's always thinking of me. You people are always thinking of yourself. Whereas that guy, he's always thinking of me. And so it points to like the transformation of ourselves. So we all have anger, we have frustration, we have these different energies, but if, 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 we're, if we're focused on the supreme or if we're focused on God or on Shiva or on the highest and our energy's going there, then we're just doing the best with what we can because we all have energies we have to transform in ourselves and the, 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 in the biggest picture, just the fact that we're concentrating in that direction, just that the fact that, that that's where our emotion is, that's where our concerns are, that's where our attention is. Um, for the universe, that's, a, I think, a, a big step because at least we're focused in that direction. That's what I get from the story of, <laughs> of Guha, the forest king. Yeah, that they'll. Yeah, and so God, I think, would rather be, <laughs> would rather get some attention than than nothing.
Well, your intention brings back right, your intention brings back karma or brings action, you know, energy back towards you. So there, you know, Yeah, like a parent does to a child. Yeah, unconditional love. Well, yes, because well, it, the other, the other, the other um, conflict here, the other lesson is between the priestly class who have all their rituals and their, their fancy tents and all their um, pomp and circumstance versus the, the guy in the forest who says, hey, I'm not going to worship your God. My God is the tree, the, the God of nature. And so ultimately, if you sincerely love God and you see him in a tree, then you're going to see him in everything. And so that, that, I think that's also an important lesson here is the, um, the, that God's in everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there we have it, guys. Wrapped up. All right. You're very welcome, everyone. Oh, guha. There's a little guha in all of us. Thanks for joining us. This has been a production of Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga. Join us at our studios here in San Diego or visit us online at pyo.yoga. Namaste.